0: Hi, welcome to back to Excited, episode 209. My name is Arvin joining me as always is my colleague from puppets.com it's Acting the Foulerman.
1: Hi everybody.
0: How are you doing Foulerman?
1: I am not too bad. I am coming off an illness, so if I sound weird at any point or gruff or slightly deranged, um some of that is because of what I'm recovering from. So just an apology to our listeners.
0: We all know they're not listening for good audio quality.
1: <laughs> no, that hasn't been a hallmark of our podcast, but we are here because we thought we would do a little bit of a 20-game check-in. About a quarter of the season is done, so we thought we'd pop back in and talk about how it's gone with our customary optimism and relentless sunshine. Um, so before we get started, the caveat, this is a problem that we've run into Plenty of times in the course of doing this podcast, which we almost invariably record on Sunday mornings. uh, We do our prep before the Saturday night game. And so the stats that we take down, the trends that we observe, may not apply to the thing that just happened. And that's happened in a couple of ways with last night. Um, The Leafs played a pretty decent, hard-fought game uh, against the Boston Bruins. They lost in overtime, but I would say it's the kind of loss you don't need to feel too bad about. There were some good signs. And there were a couple of encouraging trends with things that we're going to point out as problems. So if you want to believe that the worm is now turning, by all means, it's not nothing. But we are going to talk about the first quarter of the season as a whole. And let's start with a basic question. Are the Leafs good? Not really. Not really. Um, That may seem harsh. Because the Leafs do have 28 points in 22 games. Um, By points percentage. They're certainly in the... Well, yeah. They are in the upper quartile because they're 8th of the league. Which isn't too bad. But if you look under the hood, it's... A little fortunate that they are in that position, I think I would say. Um,
0: right, they haven't. They haven't played particularly well, and I think I don't think this is a you know I don't think we're screaming against the masses here, where everyone's super happy with the Leafs because of their record, mm-hmm. and you know we're the lone the lone renegades <laughs> daring to say the Leafs haven't played well. I think everyone kind of agrees that Leafs haven't played that well.
1: No, um, whatever else you might say about them, there was a standard of regular season performance the last few years. That they fell away from four stretches, and we certainly talked about it. But it was higher than this on average. And so the question is, what's going on? Can it be fixed? Uh, As of Friday, so not including last night, they were 12-6-3. But they were kind of lucky to have that record. They were 6-67 in one-goal games, including four shootout victories to go with one shootout loss. Uh, if you take out the shootout bonus goals, and this is still true after last night, obviously because they lost, um, they've allowed more goals than they've scored. Not generally a good sign for a team that thinks itself a contender. Um, right.
0: Yeah. And I guess like worth noting, you know, we care about stuff like this because ultimately we we kind of we care about the postseason as it relates to the Leafs. Right. It's a bit of a meme, but it has a lot of a lot of truth to it. And things like goal differential and regular season success do have an impact on that, right? We all know hockey and the playoffs especially are very random, but good teams usually do better than bad teams. So, you know, we want the Leafs to look like a good team. Good teams usually outscore their opponents. The Leafs haven't already done that. They haven't like, comfortably won a game in quite a bit of time. And that's something that good teams tend to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Some of the Leafs have tended to be better at in the past when they look better. And a lot of people are going to say, hey, just win, baby. And I want to emphasize, the rule of just win, baby, applies to, one, making the playoffs at all, I guess. But it applies in the playoffs. Like, once you're in an elimination series, yeah, by hook or by crook, if you get the series win, that's great. Um, And totally be happy with the result, whatever it is. I think we saw that last year, where the Leafs didn't really outplay the Tampa Bay Lightning, but they got over the hump and finally won a series. And that was great, and credit to them. But the point is not just to win games in November if you have aspirations of higher things. Um, So our old friend expected goals uh, is one of our fallback stats. At 5v5, again, before yesterday, the Leafs were 22nd in the NHL with 48.4% of them. That's not great. (laughs) No.
0: And to the point that you made earlier, they're about the same in goals percentage. Mm-hmm. Now, in the modern NHL, I'm more and more willing to believe systemic divergences from XG, especially at the team level. Like, I can buy that teams are now smart and they are doing things that kind of explicitly, um, that explicitly, you know, are, are different than the things that public XG captures. Like, I can believe that teams are actually, on a systemic basis, using pre-shot movement, using... Uh, rush chances, you know, to a greater degree than I would have thought five and certainly 10 years ago. And and that's because the league has gotten more skilled. Coaching, I think, has gotten better. We've seen more elite shooters. And I think, you know, that leaves more room to exploit their talents in systemic ways that actually doesn't always capture. Um, but with the Leafs, given that their goals record is as poor as it is, we don't really have a ton of evidence to say oh, they're doing stuff that isn't captured by XG and they're actually playing really well, right? Like the, the XG and goals seem to match up with the eyes to eye test here. And they all kind of say, eh, the Leafs have looked kind of mid for most of the season.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is I'm willing to entertain arguments. I'll even go kind of looking for arguments that the Leafs are better than this stat makes them look. It's one stat. But really all that we've got is that they are, quite good at getting to extra time and that's not nothing because it means you're not getting blown out on a regular basis but for a team that aspires to win the Stanley Cup you want more to hang your hat on than that and so if you are looking for a case you can make for why the Leafs are really good that you couldn't make for 15 other teams it's a little harder to do um, yeah I find it very hard to argue that this team isn't mediocre right now. I'm not saying it's condemned to always be mediocre. I'm saying that so far, that's kind of where it's been.
0: Right. And in terms of their just general five-on-five play, this is actually the worst I've seen the Leafs look since the last 20 games of Mike Babcock. And that was really, really bad.
2: hmm
0: Right? Like, I'm not sure Keefe has had an extended period of time where the team has been this mediocre at carrying play i think there are nits to pick with like the what we think of as the keith system mm-hmm. and in particular how it's kind of made the Leafs at times vulnerable to quick transitions and that's exacerbated by the you know fact that they don't have a lot of speed on their back end either yeah but you know to to your point there was always a standard of regular season play that the leafs have met under keith and they have not met that thus far this season
1: yeah that's a good point you know, over the last three years, the Leafs are fourth in the regular season. Top five team. No one's saying that that's good enough because the playoffs are how we define success. But that's also like a very strong record. And again, they generally look good by their capacity control play. Now it's, it's a little dicey. Um, there's been stuff uh, published. Again, uh, Jason Bourne. <laughs> I always call him Jason Bourne, who is an action hero. It's Justin Bourne who, while not an action hero, is a hero of hockey analysis because he has a very good eye test, and he also uh, puts together narratives for Uh He's noticed that the Leafs are keeping seemingly uh, a longer gap. And so when you keep a gap as a defenseman coming back to the neutral zone, that's when a forward is coming at you with the puck. How close do you play him? If you play him really tight up in his face, there's a risk he's going to step around you and then you're out of the play, and it's probably an odd-man rush. If you play him really loose, uh, you will not have that happen to you most of the time, but he also has a lot of space to maneuver, so he's more likely to gain the zone as opposed to being uh, forced offside um, to set up, make passes, do basically whatever he wants. Um, We've seen some traditionally defensive defensemen um, play very wide conservative gaps in the past, And kind of get shelled. And, you know, they they rack up block shots or other sort of positive numbers. And they don't have that many highlights where they get absolutely burned. But they wind up hurting their team on net. It's also something that probably happens as you slow down a bit. And it has crossed my mind that maybe we're seeing a bit of that with TJ Brody. Um... Even if we are, T.J. Brody is still one of the most important defensemen on this team. This defense yeah, cannot
0: even, lose him. Even to the extent that he's declined, and I think he probably has from last year. It's worth noting he was very, very good last year, mm-hmm. um, especially in the regular season. Yeah. You know, it's not like we have anyone who can replace him at this point, right? Like, kind of, whatever T.J. Brody is, that's what we're dealing with, and that's that's our top pair of defensemen.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right, Um. To so the point you made about the Leafs maybe keeping a wider gap this year, there's also been some some discussion on to like these sport logic stats. So we don't have full access to these, so we just have to kind of piece together snippets that we get from you know various media outlets that do have access to these, such as Sportsnet. Um, the Leafs have been better at containing odd man rushes this season compared to last. And you know, as I alluded to earlier, a weakness of the Keefe system in the past few years has been that like you know, the Leafs have all this offensive uh, off to puck control. And they do all this, um, you know, crazy activating and rotation, but it's like a complex system. And when you turn the puck over, you can have guys out of position and you're very vulnerable to transitions. Mm -hmm. Um, That seems to have been be less true this year, maybe in conjunction with the Leafs keeping wider gaps at the blue lines to guard against um, to guard against, you know, transition opportunities and rush chances. But. As a result, or maybe not as a result, but you can paint the narrative that this is the result of it, they're spending a lot more time in their defensive zone, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: right? So, you know, the least used puck possession as a defensive tool over the last few years under Keefe, and now that is less true because they have the puck less, and they're just spending more time in their defensive zone. I don't think they're particularly worse in their defensive zone this year compared to previous years, Mm -hmm. but I think we're just there a lot more often. And probably some of the weakness on the D and some of the injuries also make it harder for the for the Leafs to to exit the zone with control. You know, losing someone like Liljegren, um has hurt. Playing John Klingberg for for a while, who just wasn't really an NHL caliber defender anymore, hurt that as well. So, I think there, there there's some reasons for for why, you know, the 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 team has that sort of mediocre results. Uh, another eye testy thing. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, Fulman. I feel like the forecheck hasn't been as strong, and this is like a very Um, kind of, (laughs) I feel like every team when they're not doing, well, will say, Oh, we're not for checking. Well, Mm -hmm. uh, but when I think of what defines the least, especially their top lines, which are the, the big, you know, they're the bellwethers as much as we've complained about the third and fourth line. Like, you know, this, this team goes as far as the top four takes them. Mm -hmm. I, I, when I think of the Matthews Marner line in particular, the quintessential Matthews Marner shift to me is one where they get the puck in the offense zone with their skill And then they keep it there through their puck pursuit and their doggedness. And they create a bunch of turnovers. And then because they are more talented than almost anyone else in the world, they are really well-suited to capitalize on those turnovers. Absolutely. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that hasn't happened to the same degree this year. And we'll talk about this, but, like, you know, last night, notwithstanding, Matthews and his lines haven't been good enough.
1: Right, yeah. And so we will hedge that again and say, last night, Matthews looked a lot more like the Matthews of yore. And...
0: And God willing that he plays that way for another 60 games or another, another you know, 76 games.
1: Even yeah. better. And, uh, you know, it says something about the bar that he set that we're having this conversation about a guy who is still like, uh, well, let me confirm where he's at. Yeah, he's one off the NHL leading goals, like very much a Rocket Richard contender. Um, but yeah, um, one of the fascinating things about Matthews is that he is very good on the forecheck in his own right. He's not always considered a very physical player, but he's very strong, very good with his stick, very good at getting the puck, and very hard to take it from. Um, Matthew Nyes is also big, also a good puck protector. I don't think he's got everything going just yet, and you remarked on this.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I think, look, fans of every team do this in terms of overrating prospects, I think Leafs fans have like really overrated Matthew Nyes and really overrated him to start the year. Um, And this is not me really being low on Matthew Nyes as a player or prospect. I think he is an NHL player. But mm-hmm. I think right now he is just a guy. He's like a nondescript NHL. That's fine. He's 21. He just turned 21, too, in October. So, like, you know, it's totally fine if he is an okay NHLer. Mm-hmm. That speaks very positively to what his likely future NHL outcomes are. But he's not really a top-line guy right now. And you can say, well, you know, is he you know, we've played guys who weren't top-line wingers with Matthews and Marner before, mm-hmm. like Hyman and Butting. I think both of those guys are better than the current version of Matthew Nice.
1: Yeah. Also, I think I I've always been a bit of a Zach Hyman booster. Zach Hyman is pretty close to a top-line NHL left wing. Yeah, I think
0: he's right. he's shown he's a top-line yeah. uh, NHL winger. Like, Hyman is interesting because he probably has the best quality of teammate of any player over the last 10 years or so. He's, yeah. like, not a superstar. <laughs>
1: Across two franchises. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. Like playing with Matthews Marner and then playing with McDavid is, you know, it's hard to get much better than that. hmm But... There's just enough evidence across two teams that he makes teams better when he's on the ice that, yeah, I think Hyman is a very, very good top-line caliber forward, just in an unconventional package.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and going back to the point about forecheck, um, Zach Hyman is extremely good at that. Um, now, there was something that was remarked on, I think it was Frank Corrado, he's been doing these videos uh, where he breaks down plays in about two minutes just with a laptop and his finger and some narration and they're good, but he did point out that um, the Leafs have been getting a third man back more often. And so they may have taken something off the forecheck to do that. Um, if again, if you want to come up with reasons for optimism, you can say the time to institute changes is over the off season through training camp and to start the year. Um, The Leafs have also made some adjustments to their defensive zone play uh, that we saw earlier led to some cross signals. And so now is the time to sort that out. And if they are good changes, and if the new guys settle in with them and everyone figures stuff out, you can certainly hope that they'll come out of the adjustment period looking more cohesive. Uh, I do have to sort of add the caveat, everyone else is also sort of going through that in the NHL. right? So you know, note Also
0: somewhere. worth, also worth noting that, you know, like, I think that suggestion that the Leafs are like, can maybe take something off the forecheck,
2: mm-hmm.
0: kind of jives with what we've seen in other places from them where they are seeming to play more conservatively. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if maybe that isn't necessarily the right call for this team. Now, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't have the hockey knowledge to really like dive in and analyze the decisions that the Leafs are making, whether this is like a, a really broad pattern. But, I do know that you know, the, the Leafs' forecheck has been the lifeblood of their, of their strong offense. Mm-hmm. And neutering that, you know, I, I, th- I think there has to be pretty compelling evidence that that's the right thing to do.
1: Yeah, and this is the context of some pretty fascinating personnel changes that we talked about in the offseason that were generally offense-oriented. Like we talked about last year, the Leafs were a better defensive team than they were generally reputed to be.
0: Right, and that's because like kind of all the no-name guys were pretty meta-bad offensive players but had some defensive capabilities.
1: hmm and so I think Brad Truliving rightly identified the lack of secondary offense as a problem. He went out to address it. In some ways, I think we're good. In some ways, I think we're bad. But it was clearly a priority for him. And that, in conjunction with the loss of several of these defensive forwards and Justin Hall... Um, And then also John Klingberg just being not in the condition uh, to play at the NHL level, really. Um, I think it may have led this to swing pretty rapidly to the point of the defense being a concern. And so I do wonder if the Leafs are adapting. Like right now, with Liljegren and Giordano uh, out, in addition to Klingberg, um, they're playing basically three, six, seven defensemen. Um, in their top six even if they weren't being more conservative before it wouldn't surprise me if they're kind of doing so now just as a a kind of desire to to hold things together for the moment Um, that's more speculative but uh we'll talk a little bit about yeah the, the control that matthews has the reality is the bar for him is be a top three player on the planet
0: right and that might sound like a slightly unfair bar but you look at his contract and no that that's the bar he has set for himself both yeah. with his you know prior play and his contract demands and look we, we talked about his contract to start the year and we said like this is as good as it gets for the Leafs. like you, you mm-hmm. don't get better by replacing austin matthews you just hope that he is his the best version of himself
2: mm-hmm. yeah
0: thus far this year he hasn't been um And I don't really think there's a way around that. He had a phenomenal start to the season. Everyone's like, Matthew's back, myself included. Mm -hmm. Um, Since then, the results have been bad. And I'm not even really speaking that much about the points, which have been very hit or miss. Like, it seems like it's been kind of feast or famine. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's... I don't read too much into the fact that he had, you know, he's had three hat-tricks and then a bunch of games where he scored zero goals. It's like, you know, I I actually think with the puck, he looks about the same as ever, Mm -hmm. which is to say very, very good. Um, But the on-ice play has not been strong. Uh, lowest rate of on-ice expected goals since his rookie year, much lower than any of the key seasons. I should also note, uh, league average has been trending upwards in that time in terms of offense, right? Teams are getting better at producing offense. Offense has won out over the past few years relative to defense, certainly in comparison to the start of Matthews' career. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he is lower now than he has ever been in terms of producing on-ice offense is really concerning. Um, highest rate of on-ice expected goals against in his career, way higher again than any key season. Not good. Um, there's no real reason by the eye test that I can see to paint these numbers as being super misleading either. Similar to the Leafs' overall record. Now you could say Matthews will hopefully outshoot his expected goals, and that hasn't happened a ton yet, but but probably will. Like we've seen that his shot this year looks like it has its pop again, mm-hmm. right? He's had a bunch of goals at kind of weird circumstances at like six on five and stuff like yesterday. Um, but, you know, I, that doesn't take away from the fact that I think he, he's similarly, he, he's still like the similar type of player that we've expected at, at five on five. But the reality is any line with Matthews and either of Nylander and Marner needs to be among the 10 best in the league, like without question. That might be setting it low.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right, because you're paying like 25 million to that line. It has to be amazing.
1: Yeah, and that's where the bar is. I think if you asked Austin Matthews, he would say, yeah, that's where the bar is for me. That's where I want it. That's how I view myself. And rightly so. And I I think people are going to look at, um, maybe not so much people who listen to this podcast, but there are certainly people who would look at him with 16 goals and say, hey, that is what he's paid to do. Yes, that's not always paid to do. And going into last night, while he was on the ice, the Leafs had scored one more goal than they had allowed. Now, uh, someone might throw at me, uh, that's just glorified plus-minus, or like an improved plus-minus. Um, it's not quite, but it's goal differential. Uh, right. And But I wouldn't be very concerned about that if he were dominating play. But he hasn't been.
0: Um, right. And the thing is, that's the... That's what we're expecting to see for Matthews' dominating play. Like, he's been one of the best play drivers in the league over the past few years. And Mm -hmm. that's the thing that makes him special in conjunction with his shot. Like, his shot is amazing, but so is Kyle Connors. Yeah. You know, what separates Matthews from that level player, and Kyle Connors is a very good player, is that Matthews provides almost best-in-class play driving. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, like he he has had years in the 60% expected goals tier. Right And that corresponds to also having years with where thanks to his shooting ability, he gets to like 65% goals for, including last year, I think. where I think he got a little bit lucky in terms of the goal rates relative to his expected goals. But, you know, the Leafs dominated when he was on the ice last year. And by the way, that's also always been the case for him in the conversation to be like even the best player in the world. McDavid's individual offensive numbers are always better. But Matthews has had a pretty similar effect at juicing five-on-five offense. Now, McDavid's a whole other beast on the power play. Which, and we're not getting into that discussion here. But like, mm-hmm. as a five-on-five player, Matthews has been in the category of being the best in the world because he does things that make his team get a lot more goals than the opposition. Now, a lot of that is just the fact that he will personally score a lot of those goals. Mm-hmm. But a big chunk of it is that he has a good all-round game and he consistently leads to his team playing in the offensive zone. That hasn't happened this year, and that's the problem.
1: Yeah. So we'll loop around back to the more optimistic note of last night. He was great. Dominated the puck. Scored twice, obviously. I'd love to see him do that. Great by expected goals against a strong divisional competitor. That's everything you want out of an Austin Matthews game, except the win column, which I don't think was his fault at all. Um, If we see more of that going forward, this will look like a slightly overly worried uh, early season reaction. I would love nothing better. But that's where the bar is for him. He's got to be really, really good on a really consistent basis. Um, other things that have concerned me. Uh, David Kampf, God bless him, has been kind of getting his dick shot off in the course of this year. Um, Only
0: uh, 3.75 <laughs> years to go.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, you know, we signed uh, David Kampf to an extension this offseason. season. That we, I mean, at least I kind of talked myself into. And I think you can still talk yourself into it at the level that he's been in previous years. He's been having a rough go of it.
0: This I, I'm going to defend ourselves here. Yeah. I think we talked ourselves into it insofar as we said, I can see how you can convince yourself, as from a team perspective, that this is what should happen. Mm-hmm. I don't think we ever got to the point where we liked the deal. No. no.
1: I mean, my initial reaction was just to tweet, oh, that's too much money. And, you know, it is probably too much money. But the thing about Conf in the past is that he could play better competition than himself and basically saw off, you know, close to 50-50 in chances, in XG, in goals. Um, that's basically what you want out of him. And part of the Kyle Dubas strategy whether you liked it or you didn't, was that because he was paying so much money to his star forwards, he was going to make up a bottom six that was much cheaper because its talents were primarily defensive and that would survive low event hockey at about a saw off while the top six put up margins. Didn't work in the playoffs as well as Caldubas hoped. You can question the strategy in general, but it makes a certain amount of sense and David Kampf at least generally, kind of held up his end of the bargain, I would say. Um, this year, he's been getting snowed. Now, part of that is that he's been playing with Ryan Reeves, about whom I'm going to, unfortunately, have a lot to say.
0: <laughs> uh, but, like, just to put yeah. this, like, the sa- it's not like this is, like, oh, two a different guy hired or extended Kampf and then signed Ryan Reeves. Like, the same dude did that within, like, two weeks of each other. Yes. So, so if it doesn't work together, like... Yeah. That's that's on him?
1: Yes, indeed it is. And so that's a concern. Now, the last few weeks, he's been better, certainly. Um, again, that's uh, coincided with John Klingberg uh, going on to injured reserve, Reeves being less of an everyday player. Um, I think that there's probably more hope for a gregor Koff McConn line at least as a viable fourth line. But this is concerning. You know, if he's already declined to the point of being just a decent fourth line center in year one, we're already overpaying him. And it's probably not going to get a ton better than that. I think a big thing with with Conf is that at his best, he's had really good transition players on his wings. Mm Mm-hmm. Pierre Engvall, whatever else you would say about him, he was very good at just swallowing the puck in with his octopus range and skating it up the wing to the offensive zone. What did he do with it when he got there? It was an adventure, but he got there. And so, um, again, Ilya Mikheyev. Uh, I think there was some hope on Kalduba's part to do it with Sam Laverty, who we uh, unloaded for a fifth due to cap constraints earlier this year. And uh, I think he kind of struggles in the absence of someone to do that puck transporting. I think the team is now hoping that Gregor can do more of that for him.
0: Yeah. Engvall is a guy who I think... I think I just disagreed with the Leafs management about him. And that includes Dubas, to be clear, because Dubas traded him. Mm-hmm. I just think Engvall was good. Yeah. like I think, I think he's good in like a weird way, and I think he's frustrating... But, like, he's on pace for 40 points on the Islanders now.
1: Yeah. And like, you know, like, the- <laughs> th- that contract looks weird for a term because every Lou lamarello contract is insane term. But by AAV, that's actually fine. For $3 million? Like, sure, 40 points and he's, like, a decent defensive forward. Cool. Um, and I'd like to have him now at that price, to be real with you. But, okay, whatever. Um... I I think, you know, the biggest thing with Conf is finding the right situations where we can use him. He's still very much trusted by Sheldon Keefe. You know, Keefe is still putting him out sometimes to start overtimes um, as kind of a guy to hopefully win the draw and control play off the hop and then switch to the power forwards. Um, Yeah, like we just need him to do more than get absolutely snowed. And so hopefully we can put him in a situation where that happens. Um, Ilya Samsonov has not had a good start to the year.
0: No, he, he is not. Um, and I mean, this is this is the risk that you have when you have, you know, any one of the goalies who are not named like Vasilevsky, Shosturkin, Sorokin, and Saros. Mm-hmm. You know, I might be missing one or two people there. But like, the, yeah, you're playing the goalie lottery, you know? Yeah. I guess whoever Boston has as well, Omar can and in. I'm, I'm just convinced there's something in the water there that turns him into Vesna yeah. candidates no matter what.
1: Also, I'll just note an aside. UC Saros has actually had a brutal start to this year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like, he's as good a goalie as there is. And before this, he was consistently excellent for five straight seasons. And he's 28. It's just like, sometimes shit happens. And you can tell, you know, Samsonov said, you know, I've lost my confidence. He clearly feels, quite bad about how his performance has gone i pity him i don't think that he's now necessarily total garbage it's just that the margins are so fine in goaltending mm-hmm. and yeah like if you're a little bit worse suddenly you're a lot worse in goaltending
0: yeah so wool has kind of steadied the ship to some degree i think he's been fine yeah. Um, and, it, I mean, it's been helpful just at least that the Leafs had, like, playable backup goaltending as well. And he's kind of the de facto starter now. I think that might flip-flop a, a time or two more mm-hmm. throughout the season. But, yeah, it, you know, if, if Samsonov can return to form, that would uh, buoy the Leafs quite a bit. Yeah, no, no, Nothing helps a team like good goaltending.
1: And conversely, like, if you have two guys who are just unplayable, look at the New Jersey Devils and the Edmonton Oilers right now. Two teams who were considered probably top-shelf Stanley Cup contenders coming into the year, except for goaltending. They got the worst-case outcome so far in goaltending, and they're both really far back. Um, I'm not saying that they won't surge up. Edmonton, in particular, seems to be putting it together because McDavid is playing out of his mind again. Um But yeah, like, you won't survive if you have two goalies who are playing like garbage. It will end you no matter really who you are. So something to worry about there. Um, The defensive injuries haven't helped. We do have to say that. Um, You you know, in fairness to Brad Treliving, I think he made mistakes, for sure. But... Losing Timothy Liljegren and then having Klingberg be unplayable, then losing Mark Giordano, um, even kind of losing Connor Timmons, although I think the fans have kind of started to overrate him a bit. Um, yeah, like those are all things that make it difficult.
0: Yeah, uh, worth noting that William Laguson and uh, Simone Benoit have been like pleasantly playable. I don't think they're, they're going to win any awards or anything, but it's like they haven't tripped over themselves.
1: Yeah, and that's big.
0: And, yeah, and maybe that's like to some extent we alluded to this before. The team maybe helping them and trying to play more conservatively to protect them and that sort of thing. Um, but you know, regardless, I think I think they've they've done well. You know, they've they've um, been I think better than most people expected, myself included.
1: Mm-hmm. And you know, they've contributed a little bit as second unit penalty killers, which the Leafs have needed. So, uh, okay. Can we say things in mitigation of all that pessimism? Okay, well, the team has controlled play somewhat better since Klingberg went out at about 52% of the expected goals, uh, not including last night. Um, That's not terrific, but that's a lot better, and that's more encor- encouraging. I, I feel like, you know, people, people have this perception of the Toronto market as this pack of, you know braying wild dogs who just tear to pieces anyone who underperforms. That's kind of true sometimes. But I think this season we've had a situation where two players, for various reasons, were really, really bad. They were not the whole problem. There were absolutely other things going on that need to be addressed, but they were sinking the team. And so I think that that's a factor if we can just improved by omission i guess addition by Mm -hmm. subtraction
0: it it is kind of harsh to say but i think klingberg being replaced by replacement level defenseman has made the leaf somewhat notably better
1: yeah harsh but true um william milander went absolutely ham on everybody for two months which is a big part of why they have a winning record
0: yeah he had a lot of you know, I think he had at least, I think, two overtime winners. You know, those, it's like two direct points right there. He's had, he was really, really strong. He's cooled off a little bit. I think that was just natural. Like, I don't think he's playing necessarily a lot worse. It's just, you know, he had a hot streak and, and you know, there's natural peaks and valleys. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he is, he's really, really good. You know, Yeah. not not much of a surprise.
1: The thing I'll just say as an aside about Neilander is that for better and for worse, he really does not let the moment get to him. Like... You know, you can put him in a high-pressure situation. And sometimes he will play remarkably as if it's a low-pressure situation. Which means that he'll sometimes execute on very difficult plays. Because he's an insanely good offensive player. And sometimes he'll risk things that make you think, Willie, what are we doing here, bud? Um, So, you know, you take the the limited bad with the extremely uh, large amount of good with him. Um... And you pointed out John Tavares looks as good as we could have possibly hoped six years into this contract. I would say. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, I I agree. Um, he he still looks like he's just a very good player, and I think he actually has one of the stronger expected goals and goals rates uh, on ice on the team. Mm-hmm. And you know <laughs> that's like good in a sense because we want John Tavares to be good. He probably shouldn't have better results there than Austin Matthews, but you know we we talked about that earlier. But yeah, Tavares has been has been good. Um, no real complaints. He he's just the guy who. Um, who who you know we always expect him to be. He's the model of consistency.
1: Yeah, it makes me a little sad because unless this team generates some really spectacular team success, I think he's almost certainly going to be underrated. But he's been like clockwork almost his whole time in Toronto. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, the Max Domi three C experiment is going not terribly so far. Uh, I'll have more to say about that when we talk about our how the new guys look section. So I'll save it for there. Um, I guess the biggest reason for optimism is they've survived. Like whatever else has gone on, they've come out of it after 22 games with a quite good record. 28 points is good.
0: Yeah, I mean, as you said, they're eighth in the league by points percentage.
1: You know, that that's,
0: that's not bad at all, right? And they don't make you give the points back. Mm-hmm. You know, even if your play doesn't deserve them. The Leafs, the Leafs have those points, you know, and there's very obviously a world where the Leafs improve, driven primarily by Matthews and Marner rebound. And we haven't talked about Marner very much, but I think a lot, you know, you could kind of replace a lot of the things we said with Matthews there. Mm-hmm. You know, they've they've mostly played together, except for a few games recently now. Mm-hmm. But you, know, you can see where, where they return to career norms. They drive on ice results the way they used to drive on ice results in the way that they did as, as recently as last year. Mm-hmm. And the Leafs improve from here. And because they've banked a bunch of points in the first quarter of the season, they're in a spot to contend for f- home ice in the first round or even the division. Like those, those are still, those are still you know reasonable chances.
1: Yeah, and you know it's good. Uh, we are going to end up talking about some secondary players probably more than some primary players, and I've seen a lot of people, especially in the context of Reeves, saying, "Why are you talking about this twelfth forward?" when the bigger concern is Matthews getting going or Marner getting going. And that's true. And so that's why we have talked about it. That is absolutely a bigger concern. Here's the thing, though. If Matthews doesn't get going, ultimately we're fucked. Mm-hmm. That's it. So we're not going to do anything about that um, from a management perspective, which is really what this podcast focuses on. Um, you know, the, It's on the coach. It's on his utilization to get the most out of him. But we're obviously going to keep him. We just have to hope he's the best version of himself. You can make changes around the roster um, surrounding him. But that's it. If Marner isn't himself, it is somewhat possible you trade him in the offseason. You don't trade him in season. His cap hit is way too bulky. And I don't foresee that there's going to be much of a market for him. Putting aside that the Leafs are very likely to be hanging around a playoff spot anyway at the least.
0: Um, two things I want to talk yeah. about very quickly before we move on to talking about some of the newer players mm-hmm. uh, Riley has been good he's continued his playoff form he, yeah. he's mentioned I think in some interviews that he had like a kind of nagging knee injury last year and maybe that explained his poor regular season but he, he looks like himself and you know god bless Morgan Riley he's he, he's an absolute trooper you know yeah. one, one of my one of my favorite at least in terms of his personality and, and everything like I, I've quibbled with his contract I've quibbled with his play but like Riley as a person seems like a phenomenal person. I, I like rooting for him.
1: Yeah, he's good. We're And, you know, we're certainly glad to have him now, um, even from a pragmatic perspective. So,
0: yeah. The other thing, I think Jake McCabe has been quietly quite good. He was injured for, you know, a stretch of five, six games or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, since coming back, he's played a lot on the right side.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And he has been the stabilizing force on kind of the, the Leafs' non-first pairing. Right, Riley Brody basically played together the entire year. Yeah. McCabe has been, I think, pretty clearly the Leaf's next most important defenseman. Oh yeah. And, you know, he's had to do it with a rotating cast of of, of uh, you know, stable mates. So I think he's been very positive. He brings a muzzin like element to that, like in the fact that he stabilized a pretty important defensive group. He is not as good as Jake Muzzin was. That's fine. We don't expect him to be. Um Jake Muzzin was a phenomenal player mccabe is closer to like a, a good average player mm-hmm. um that's almost an oxymoron than i said a good average player but he, he's just like he's like a competent guy yeah. and he's been good there in some difficult circumstances so you know credit to him and i think that was a really good acquisition by the leafs considering um you know the cap it, that they that they have him at
1: yeah like he looks to be a legitimate second pairing defenseman and the leafs have him for this during next at two million against the cap that's actually kind of phenomenal Like, that's really good. Um, So, yeah, that's encouraging. Um, Bobby McMahon was not a new acquisition, so we didn't talk about him in the new acquisition section. However, um, he's been good. I think he's been a worthy 12th forward as the job has become more available. And I think that that's encouraging. I don't want to get carried away with the the just-a-guys at the bottom of the roster, but neat.
0: Yeah, his, um, I mean, I think his primary qualification is not Ryan Reeves.
1: <laughs> yes, uh, very much so. Okay, so how have the new guys looked? So there were five sort of big acquisitions or big-ish acquisitions that we're going to talk about um, that Brad Living brought on, uh, starting with Tyler Bertuzzi. So after an adjustment period where he looked to be figuring things out for a bit, it was a, it was a bit of a disjointed feel to his first 10 games, I would say. Um, but since then, Bertuzzi's kind of been killing it. He's settled in nicely.
0: Yeah. I think he was the signing we were most optimistic about. Mm-hmm. And I think again, after the adjustment period, he's been good. Like there, there were times, even in the adjustment period, he's actually always had really good on ice stats, but visually he wasn't really contributing much to the offense. His, his individual offense was, was pretty mediocre. And he wasn't exactly passing the eye test. No. In the sense that like, he he felt very ancillary to whatever his line mates were doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Now he actually still leads the league or leads the team, I should say, in on ice expected goals percentage. Now I think that has more to do with him happening to be on Matthew's line when Matthew's was hot and happening to be on Nylander's line when Nylander was (laughs) hot as opposed to Bertuzzi specifically causing them to get hot. But, you know, that says positive things about his impact overall. Mm -hmm. If he can be a part of like strong lines going forward, I'll, I'll be happy with this with this deal. No real complaints here. I I, th- I think he's been I think he's been good after that that adjustment period, and he looks like what we expected him to be. He's like a kind of go to the net front type of guy. He he isn't as skilled as any of his line mates, right? No. And but that's okay. He knows his role, and he he's generally been executing it um pretty well. Worth noting, he's also a pretty notable part of Toronto's PP two, which is probably the best Toronto PP two. It's you know, in a long time, probably since Kadri, you know, and we could really, you know, at that point you could actually, I th- I think for a long time when Kadri was here, we even split up, you know, we had Marner, Kadri, Tavares on on, on one um, on one power play unit and Matthews Nylander on the other. So like it was a much more even split. Since we've moved to a loaded up top power play unit, which to be clear is the correct thing to do, yeah. uh, power play two has been kind of an afterthought. Mm-hmm. I think, as I said, this least power play two is... Uh, the best it's been in a while. Now that's a pretty minor thing because they play 30 seconds per power play. Yeah. But uh, it is it is worth pointing out, and this that also applies for for players like Max Domi and Arm Croak as well.
1: Yeah, um, a bit more offensive flair. You know, if you want to quibble, nine points in 22 games, uh, five goals for assists. That's not the production I think he expects of himself.
0: It, for sure. I mean, as I, as I said, it, yeah. that's less than what Pierre Engvall has produced.
1: <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> but. Um, I think, again, he looks better lately. I think I'm willing to chalk that up to an adjustment phase. And I'm still pretty happy with the signing. And I'm hoping that it, it bodes well go, going forward. So, Okay, um, John Klingberg. I don't want to be too harsh on the player here. He was struggling with a hip in, issue that has now shut him down, possibly for the season. And you wrote
0: possibly Possibly for his career.
1: Unfortunately, that is the conversation we're now having. Um, Klingberg was not viable as an NHL defenseman in his time with the Leafs. He had some nice moments in the offensive zone. His passing vision was still there, but his mobility and his judgment defensively were not adequate. I'm sorry to say. (coughs) If he's on LTIR the remainder of the year, The Leafs should reclaim some cap room to fill the glaring hole in their defense. I have to say, I am really curious as to what Brad Treliving was seeing. Uh, He was, you know, Klingberg was coming off a brutal year. He described this hip issue as something that's kind of been longer term. Now, Brad Treleving said, you know, we didn't have any conception that it was going to impair him to this degree. Okay, who were we bidding against when we gave him four point one five million?
0: Yeah, I, I like we we hated the signing to start, to a certain extent. After twenty games, our opinions on these signings are also are still going to be really heavily cover, colored by our priors on them. Uh, and our prior on Klingberg was this is a bad signing. Yeah, and unfortunately, everything that transpired on the ice has only made that claim seem more correct.
1: Yeah. Uh, I actually have to say something. So you said, um, you know, they could have just signed Eric Gustafson for literally a fifth of this. And as much as I disliked this contract, I found that hard to accept because, you know, my feelings on Eric Gustafson.
0: Yeah, you're not convinced he's real.
1: No. But that would have been incomparably better than what we did.
0: Yes. uh, He has
1: 15 points in 22 games, by the way. Gustafson.
0: (laughs) Gustafson figured it out at age 29 or whatever he
1: is. He is legitimately a good offensive defenseman. Yeah. I just don't trust him to do anything else. But anyway, look, Klingberg was certainly once a very good offensive defenseman. It's just he isn't that guy anymore. He hasn't been that guy in a while. It was a mistake for us to pay him based on a disproportionate chance of him being that guy again.
0: Right. And I think this is one of those signings that, like, Really does make me question exactly what uh, Brad for living is seeing because it's just I don't know it just felt really obvious to me that this was not going to end well. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, people were talking a lot about the Leafs needing offense from their back end, but which, by the way, I also kind of mild rant here. When people talk about offense on the back end, it's really important to note. That you want offense from the back end to be additive, mm. not cannibalizing. Mm-hmm. I don't care who gets the points. I care that the team scores. There's, you know, some defensemen, Bison Terry, just to pick a name, <laughs> um, who get points but don't necessarily contribute to teams at the offense. Now, through his prime, John Klingberg was not one of these players. He was an additive offensive player. Mm-hmm. But there was, you know, a quite a few years' evidence now that he had slowed down from his prime, and that's the important thing to know. It wasn't just the Anaheim year.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: There was a reason that coming into free agency, he could only sign a one-year deal in Anaheim. There was no other long-term money on the table for him at that point because his last few years in Dallas were also not good.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah, like I, I, I think. There was just a lot that had to go right for this deal to make sense. Like, a lot of things had to be not his fault
2: mm-hmm.
0: or not primarily caused by him, and that just seemed unlikely to me. Yeah. And I apologize for, like, kind of doing this extended sort of victory lap over our position here because God knows we've been wrong a lot as well.
1: Oh, hell yeah.
0: Right? Like, I mean, we were probably higher on Bertuzzi than it has justified, you know, thus far. Even We can say, oh, there's some adjustment period, but, yeah. you know,
1: the, we're currently—
0: Yeah, exactly. We're clearly not like completely clairvoyant, but yeah, this deal seemed dumb at the time and it has proven to be, I think, pretty dumb in practice. Um, And look, I'm going to preface this by saying that I have a lot of sympathy for John Klingberg. As I said, he was a very good player in his prime. He's in the very unenviable position right now of his body simply not being able to execute at an NHL level anymore. Mm -hmm. But given his role, he was the worst defenseman I've seen in the Matthews era and possibly beyond that.
1: Yeah, um, so, yeah, as a player that we've used in a significant way. like And, okay, I am not going to go out of my way to talk about Kyle Dubas' acquisitions. The whole podcast has been us doing that for like 200 episodes. I think we've called out his failures as we've seen them pretty consistently. We're certainly not like uniformly positive on him. I also do not really care anymore. Pittsburgh is now a bubble team. Good for them. I don't care. But the idea that Tyson Berry, who drove me fucking nuts, was as bad as Klingberg was through 20 games this year. I'm sorry, that's just not borne out at all. Um, And you know how it pains me to defend Tyson Berry. Um, He made me so mad. But (laughs) (laughs) the Leafs um, got the better of the shots and the chances and the goals while he was on the ice. And... Was that mostly his doing? No. But John Klingberg got run over. And it looked like he was a big factor in that. And that was with him playing a ton of minutes with the John Tavares line. Which, as we noted, John Tavares has been quite good this year.
0: Yeah, and that Tavares line has otherwise been the Leafs' best line. Yeah. Right? So, with Klingberg just had, like, absolutely hideous defensive numbers. Every bit of it seemed earned from the eye test as well. Like, it just, it consistently looked terrible. And... As sad as it is to say, like I think the Leafs are genuinely better with a combination of like Benoit and Laguson and Timmins, you know, Absolutely. kind of tr- trying to be three defensemen in a trench coat, than than with with Klingberg.
1: Yeah, and if you put a gun to my head, I would play any one of them. And again, look, uh, yeah, injuries are cruel. Hockey's a demanding sport. Also, not on Klingberg for taking that contract. He no, should no, take the best is- deal he gets every single time, and I hope he. Enjoys all that money.
0: Yeah, and like he, to an extent he he already fumbled the bag to some extent and like you know, he, he bet on himself and it didn't work. That yeah. You know, the whole idea of him going to Anaheim was like, okay, one year, you know, I, I got good money this year, I'm gonna get on the market. Um, after a strong year where I get to put up a lot of points on a team that has no one else and it did not work that way. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think he gets a contract above a million dollars after this season. So if it all yeah. But uh that's 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 rough and it's, it's really unfortunate I, I i wish you know i wish nothing but the best for klingberg in his personal and the remainder of his professional life i i kind of wish my team wasn't the one who uh you know paid him that money but that you know that that that's on for living not on klingberg
1: yeah and so you know finishing on maybe a happier note uh cap friendly estimates his career me- earnings at 38 million dollars so yes he'll be all right let's, let's hope he's you uh, save that up okay so max domi um You know, I was, I think, lukewarm on this one. You know, as I've said, Max Domi has expressed some political opinions that I find kind of repugnant. Uh, I will leave that at that Um, going forward. I don't think there's any need to rehash it and just evaluate him as a player. Uh, You would like more goals. He has one now. He scored last night, his first of the season, and you could tell that was a real monkey off his back. Um, But Domi has found a home now as the three-seed in Nick Robertson and Kelly Yarncroke. And it's worked pretty decently as a respectable, yeah, I think so. sheltered scoring line.
0: Yeah, I think Domi had an awful, awful start. When he was moved to center, that seemed to coincide with an improvement in his play. I don't know if it's exactly because he went to center, but he seems to be more involved mm-hmm. uh, in the play than he than he was on the wing. He is a very, very talented passer. Yes. I think no one can take that away from him. He he is a truly wonderful passer. He might be, you know, the leaf's, you know, third best passer after Marner and Neander. Like he he's he's that good as a as a setup guy. He has nowhere near the complete offensive game of someone like Matthews or Tavares. But he's a great passer and he has two guys who have, at least in theory, pretty dangerous shots mm-hmm. on uh, on his wing. And he's been able to set them up relatively well. Um yeah, I, I've he, he is sort of weak defensively. This this line doesn't seem to be fully trusted and there's you know, there, there's some general thoughts as to, well, you know, we we have these great offensive players in our top six, and yet we have this other line that we don't really fully trust. So that kind of forces us to use our top line maybe more defensively than we would really love them to mm-hmm. be used. That's kind of a bigger question that doesn't, that's not really on Domi in particular. Like he he's, I think, since the move to center, basically been what's been advertised.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, there was no reason to expect anything but... um. Offensively gifted, strong playmaker, but defensively frail player from this year. Like we had a very good track record of this happening throughout Domi's career. Yeah, across like
0: Seven seventeen. Teams.
1: Yeah, so we knew what we were we were getting there. Did not obviously seem to settle in very well on the wings, but yeah, he's he seems like he's viable for sure as a third line center. Um, Nick Robertson loves to load up that cannon and shoot. Uh, Max Domi loves to feed the puck to him, so I think that that's kind of uh, a synergy that can be exploited. And Yarn is sort of the jack-of-all-trades, but he also has a bit of scoring. Um, Yeah, so as we mentioned, Sheldon Keefe does not seem to trust Robertson and Domi defensively. They often end nights with limited ice time, especially Robertson. Um, he can sort of seem to disappear from the lineup as things go on, depending on game state.
0: This has probably also been exacerbated by the fact that, as we mentioned, the Leafs have basically only played close games. Yes. So there's like never. If there's never been like, oh, you know, we have two goalie. Let's let's we can put them out. You know, in the in the third period, mm-hmm. it's always like, oh, it's tight. You know, a goal against is really harmful. Uh, you know, yeah. and I think I think for this line, I think kind of for for them, their their next goal no pun intended should, should be to just try and gain a bit more trust
1: mm-hmm.
0: right and i think I think they can they can do it um I hope they can do it
1: I will say Nick Robertson has been talking about that even in interviews he's like I want to get everything right I'm paying attention to the details am i doing well it looks to me like he has actually gotten better at a lot of these things he looks like a more complete player than he did the last few times we saw him up here mm-hmm. and I think certainly it it's more encouraging for his chances of staying up here uh, for as long as he's been a prospect and debated and talked about, he did just turn 22 three months ago. So <laughs> he's actually still in the ascendant part of his development curve.
0: Right. Uh, and if, if he can be, you know, a, a competent third line winger this year, that's good. I mean, the Le- we talked about this before, but one of the things that has hurt the Leafs, in part due to you know poor drafting, in part due to very un- unfortunate circumstances in some situations, mm-hmm. they haven't had a lot of ELC contributors mm-hmm. um, since the big three. Yeah, and I guess like Grin and Sandine were the were the next ones after that, but yeah. very few on the on the forward lines.
1: Yeah, and, and, now and Matt that's denies right, but as we yeah. said, yeah.
0: yeah. So so there, there's like a gap of like a few years where where not much really happened on that front. Mm-hmm. Um, so if Robertson can can continue to be on a, a A successful third line that's that's a real feather in his cap and again similar to what i said about nice like being just a guy at this age is totally fine Mm -hmm. it's rare that you know it's rare that a 22 year olds one of the best players in the league and those players are really celebrated because it's so rare you know Mm -hmm. guys like jack hughes and you know mcdavid when he was younger of course things like that
1: yeah so still uh bringing it back around to max domi this is about what we would have expected him to do in a good upside case, now that he's settled in as a viable Shelter 3C. I, you know, if you gave Sheldon Keefe truth serum, or even if you just asked him in private, I think he would tell you he would rather have someone who was a bit more of a two-way presence as a 3C. um Like, he would like Ryan O'Reilly, for example, there. But it may not be possible to do that, um, given the Leafs' limited assets and the fact that they pretty clearly have to make a defense trade at -hmm. some point so we'll see how this works out okay this is it the ryan reeves segment i am going to talk more about ryan reeves in this segment than will seem necessary perhaps
0: well you're probably going to talk more about ryan reeves in this segment than he played last night
1: (laughs) yes uh and for the record that would mean that this segment will be at least six minutes which seems very possible Uh, I'm aware he's a 12th forward. He drives a lot of discussion. I got to tell you, there was a lot of bullshit floating around regarding him. And there were a lot of people who, uh, were keen to credit him for the first two Austin Matthews hat tricks of the year. And then when the season went on, suddenly didn't want to talk about it anymore.
0: Right. I, I, I'm just going to bring this up here. There was, um, There's a play against the Wild where William Nylander scored a really, really nice solo goal. Mm -hmm. And during the intermission break, Kevin Bieksa... This was, I think, the third game of the Leafs season, maybe the second game. Um, Mm -hmm. During the intermission break, Kevin Bieksa said, you know, Ryan Reese just makes everyone taller. We didn't see William Nylander do that last year. (laughs) And as it turns out, he scored basically an identical goal against the Wild last year among the 40 (laughs) that he scored.
1: Also, I don't think William Nylander really changes very much, even compared to other players. Like, I think you his could, emotional, um, you know, up and down is very limited.
0: You could put Gandhi and Martin Luther King on the <laughs> Leafs, and Neen would be the same person. He'd be like, oh, cool. Yeah, Mahatma's yeah. pretty nice.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go at this in some detail. I'm going to lay out why we care, how we measure all this sort of stuff. Important caveats, and we talked about this with, Kl- with Klingberg. First of all, none of this is Ryan Reeves' fault. Yep. He's an NHL player. He has made more money in his career than I will in my entire lifetime by a long shot. Um, you know, he should take the best deal available to him if this was offered. This was absolutely the right move for him.
0: Yeah, and he look, he's carved out a career for himself. You know, he he's 36. Like most thirty-six year olds who are still in the league are guys who were like stars when they were younger. Are really good. Yeah. Right? He he's found a niche and yeah, like that, that that's a credit to him. He's played eight hundred forty five games. Like he is a real he has an actual shot of getting to a thousand.
1: Yeah. Like not out of the question at all. I wouldn't bet on it, but still. Um yeah. And so actually just as an aside, there is a Patton Oswald bit where he makes fun of Kentucky Fried Chicken. And then there was was subsequently an interview where someone asked the CEO of Kentucky Fried Chicken about it. And Patton Oswalt said, you know, all that guy has to say is, who the fuck is Patton Oswalt? I'm a billionaire. I don't care. If someone were to tell Ryan Reeves about this podcast segment, he would be very justified in saying, who are these fucking nerds? I'm an NHL player. And that would be justified. But as people who want the team to win, this is the kind of thing that matters. So let's go through it. Here are the possible reasons to justify signing Ryan Reeves. One, that his overall good spirit and attitude will improve team cohesion and ultimately make the team more successful.
0: This was a, a pretty common talking point the offseason. You know, Reeves saying, you know, I, I, I like to keep the locker room light. You know, I like to make sure everyone's involved on road trips and, you know, get people together for meals. There was some... Chatter about the Leafs, like, being a clicky team, which I think probably every team is to some degree. Like, when you have—just it, logistically, it's annoying for 23 people to go and try and do anything together. Yeah. You kind of just naturally form into groups, a smaller group. Anyways, this was a talking point.
1: Yeah, and I I think that, like, that was quite clearly a big factor in his signing. Um, Second reason, that his physicality might intimidate opposing players.
0: The makes everyone a few inches taller type of um, discussion. So again, something that was also discussed about Ryan Reeves in particular, like a lot in the media and, you know, the specific example I gave about BXA for for example.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Three, that the fear of fighting him or what he might do might protect Leaf players.
0: I think also discussed quite a bit with Reeves.
1: Yes, it keeps coming up. And four, that he would be a sufficiently good fourth liner to justify playing him even though his benefits are mostly emotional rather than his own distinct performance. I think it's important to just say, okay, how are we going to measure the success of this kind of signing? I would say that those four elements are a pretty fair survey of the things that he can be good at. I can't think of anything else.
0: I think it's pretty generous to him in a lot of ways because there, there's lots of things here that could be, you know, if, if Matthew, as you said, you know, people were, there was a subset of people who were quite willing to credit Ryan Reeves uh, for Matthew scoring two hat tricks to start the year,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? And like this, is, it's a bit like the the tiger repelling rock bit from The Simpsons. Yeah. Like it, it's sort of unfalsifiable. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean he had no impact on that, but I, I think some of these points allow for kind of spurious relationships between Ryan Reeves' presence and other players doing well, and like a, assigning credit to that for Reeves, uh, or credit for that to Reeves rather. Um, so yeah, I think this is like a pretty generous rubric that allows a lot of different ways for him to contribute to, to, you know, his contract and his position on the team being worthwhile.
1: Right. So, okay, let's try it. Uh, first of all, by the standard of overall team success, well, the team isn't playing all that well. We talked about that for 20 minutes off the hop. They're probably playing worse than they have in the Sheldon Keefe era. If we play the game where we attribute the results of much better players that Reeves wasn't playing with to his fighting spirit, and again, lots of people were happy to do that two games in, then it would appear that Ryan Reeves has sabotaged Austin Matthews' commitment to defense. I don't believe that at all. That would be dumb. But it makes about as much sense as the other way around, I gotta tell you. Um, I'm not saying this stuff has no impact, but it's pretty questionable to uh, pay a large amount in the roster spot for that privilege when it doesn't seem like it's a very meaningful impact. Okay. So, what, One thing
0: I want to bring up uh, quickly before we yeah. move to the next thing. So I think one common retort is like, oh, so, you know, these players and these teams, these GMs who have been in the room and kind of experienced this know nothing about the impact of this and, and and you guys do. And I think in general, we're actually pretty deferential to people who have the lived experiences of, you know, running hockey teams and whatnot. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of staff people have at various points been pretty dismissive of things that coaches and GMs have said, Hey, this is important. And like, we're not capturing this well Mm -hmm. now coaches and GMs didn't always express it Kind of as politely as I just did there, yeah. Um, but I think people, SaaS people, have been dismissive of things like that, and then have later kind of come back and said, you know what, there's something there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now that could be the case here, but to you know, just as you can point to hockey people like Brad Trilliving, uh signing Ryan Reeves, you can point to hockey people like Bill Guerin saying, uh, I, I don't want to sign Ryan Reeves for that, mm-hmm. or hockey people like Jeff Gordon saying, okay, we need to bench Ryan Reeves and, and trade him because like he's not helping our team. You know, well, hockey even...
1: people like Sheldon Keefe, who are now scratching him half the time and playing him less than eight minutes every other game.
0: Yeah, so like you know that cuts both ways. Anyways, um, that that was just one thing I wanted to 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 bring up.
1: Yes, and so the next one was the intimidation factor. Are the Leafs playing taller or bigger or better? Um, <clears throat> hard to see much evidence that anyone's intimidated. To give Reeves credit, he is throwing hits. He has a very high hit rate in the few minutes that he does play. That basically seems to be his conception of his purpose. That's probably right. He's like, I'm going to go out and throw the shoulder around. I can't find any way to prove that it's really stopping anybody, though.
0: Yeah, it's... Okay, so I I would like to issue a small challenge to our listeners. The next time Reeves plays a game, whenever Reeves is on the ice, just watch him. And don't worry, this won't take your attention away from the game too much. It'll only take eight minutes. Count the number of times he actually makes a play, physical or otherwise, which helps his team. That's one element of it. The other thing is, note the pattern that happens when you watch Ryan Reeves. Because when I watch Reeves, I think the modal play is, you know, he changes the other team has the puck that he's like dumped it in, for example. He kind of lumbers around the ice and makes a beeline to the guy with the puck. The opponent sees him coming, and because Reeves is slow, they have eons of time by NHL standards to move the puck. So the puck gets moved. Reeves is, like, kind of course co- committed to the guy who previously had the puck. He hits him kind of a pretty perfunctory hit uh, a, a second or two after the puck has moved past him, and then the puck is moved on. Reeves finds the next guy, and then the same process repeats until the until essentially the puck is in the leaf zone. Mm-hmm. At that point, he just plays standard in-zone defense, doesn't really get that close to the puck because he can't overcommit because he's not fast enough. When he gets the puck on his stick, he's not really skilled enough to make any notable play with it to get out of the zone. So he'll just kind of run it along the boards or if he gets it in open ice, he'll just he'll flip it out, maybe try and gain center ice and flip it out, but that's kind of a stretch for him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then the Leafs just don't have the puck again and then he changes. It honestly looks, and I'm sure it doesn't come across this way to him in the moment, but like looking at it, I'm like, that looks like a really unfun version of hockey to play. That looks like me when I play with guys who are a lot better than me. I'm like, shit. Like all I can do Hang is like, <laughs> ch- yeah, I can just. Sk- I'm just doing cardio. I'm just skating around <laughs> and hoping that you know I don't really have to do anything and that the play is always a little bit behind me. And I'm definitely not contributing to my team. But all I really hope for is that I don't make some obvious fuck up that makes people mad at me. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm sure Reeves doesn't think in those ways, obviously. Um, but, like, he seems like he plays a very unfun version of hockey at the NHL level because he's not good enough to do anything besides that.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, I'm sure he would love to play a more energetic style. But the reality is he's getting into his late 30s. He doesn't have it anymore. Yeah,
2: and
0: again, like, NHLers are really, really good at hockey. Ryan Reeves is better at hockey than I am at anything I have been in my life. If I saw him on the ice at, like, you know, just in any situation besides him being, on you know, playing professional hockey against NHLers and possibly, like, maybe in the AHL too, I would say, oh my god, that's the best hockey player I've seen in my life.
1: Yeah. Ryan Reeves is in the top 4,000 people ever in doing what he does. I would kill to be in the top 4,000 people at, like, writing or something like that. I'm nowhere close. So all respect to him. It's just it's not working. Um, with regard the intimidation thing, well, Timothy Lilligren is on uh, LTIR. So Brad Marchand doesn't seem to have been very intimidated. Now, Marchand says, like, look, it was unintentional. People debate that. I am going to admit I've got a total homoeride for that when Brad Marchand gets tangled up with another player and that player walks away injured or doesn't walk away, I should say. Um, I'm going to blame Brad Marchand. Sorry. Uh, and more to the point, I don't think the Leafs have been really spared anything because I've been sold this a lot of times. Um, finally, the point about him being a viable fourth liner. This was my hope. You know, I was down on this signing in the offseason season. But I said, hopefully he can just kind of hang around. And I don't expect him to outplay his competition. I expect him to not get killed. You know?
0: And he has, at various points in his career, been a completely competent fourth liner. Uh, On the Misfits Golden Knights team, that fourth line actually did pretty well, especially in their playoff run. Much better than expected. Like he, he, again, you don't make it to age 36 in the NHL without having some level of ability he has been a, a okay fourth liner before, who brought you know all these ancillary stuff like toughness and and heart and you know levity of locker room and that sort of thing
1: yeah and i will add if you know every 20 goals uh that are on the ice for ryan reeves his team gets nine and the other team gets 11 of them you can live with that and And, you know, invest in all of his other benefits and say, okay, our fourth line isn't perfect, but we really do like the rest of what he brings. And I might not love that, but I would understand it. And I would say, yeah, he's not, you know, ruining you when he's out there. But this year, he pretty much has ruined them when he's out there. He had one goal and zero assists in uh, now 17 games. Um, Going into... Last night, uh, he was on for two goals, four and 12 against. That wasn't all his fault. But if you look at pretty much any other stat or any other way we can measure it, he was getting not just beaten, but nuked. Like he was under 40% in most numbers. That's not survivable. You like, you just can't do that. Um. And so, you know, I think Sheldon Keefe has recognized it. There's a reason he's being healthy now, and there's a reason that he basically disappears from the lineup. Like, the Leafs basically play 11 forwards in the back half of any game that Reeves is in. Um, Partly because they have yet to really blow out a team, or at least they haven't done it recently. But that's where it's at. Now, a lot of people are going to say, why do you care so much? And I'm going to make two points about this. Um... First of all, roster spot and cap hit. So as long as he's playing, either you're playing 11 forwards, which does increase the strain somewhat on the rest of the lineup and also makes the line changes less clean. Um, It blocks someone who might contribute a little bit more. It's marginal. Not a huge difference, probably, although Reeves has been bad enough that maybe it is a huge difference this year. Um, But still, you want every edge you can get. Um, as long as he's on the roster and the team so far seems committed to that, he represents about half a million in cap space that we don't have. Like Pontus Holmberg makes 550 less. Is that a ton of money in NHL terms? No. But the Leafs couldn't come to terms with the Calgary Flames on Nikita Zadorov or Chris Tanev, who would have been upgrades for their defense, because they couldn't get the Flames to agree to retain salary. Zdorov went to Vancouver, who could take him at full freight. Um, Sam Lafferty, who, again, not that important, but a useful player, and who has actually been producing pretty well with um, the Vancouver Canucks as part of their hard start. We unloaded him for a fifth because we were committed to Ryan Reeves as a 12th forward. And, you know, just to add, like, I don't think Lafferty is any great shakes. I was fairly low on him. But he's had more points this year than Tyler Bertuzzi. You know, like there are prices to this. And finally, there's kind of an emotional aspect that I hope you'll indulge me here. A lot of people get kind of snippy and say, why do you care so much? Or, Or you just don't like fighting? I want to win. I want the Toronto Maple Leafs to win the Stanley Cup. And unless they totally sacrifice their morals to do so, that's kind of all I care about. I watched, um, when I was growing up, the Darcy Tucker era drawing me beliefs. Tucker was fucking psycho. Yeah, those Leafs were the bad guys. They were the bad guys. And I loved him. But, you know, he was nuts. But he won. And so, to be clear, the Leafs could fight anywhere between zero times a year. And 200 times a year. And my question would be, okay, did they win? That is what I care about, full stop. And this stuff with the enforcers makes me mad because I am being offered this in lieu of wins. I'm being offered this um, even though it makes the team worse. And I get all of these excuses for why, oh, it doesn't matter that much or it's not that big a deal. Fuck you, this is the NHL. Play a winning team. Do everything you can because it's really hard to win a Stanley Cup. And I'm sorry if that's not, like, the most fun I've ever been. But I get so annoyed when everyone acts like, that, you know, they're so committed to this. And then as soon as it comes time to make some tough choices, uh, everyone's like, well, I don't know. Like, are you committed to a, a team that really genuinely contends? Or do you just not like William E. Lander or stuff like that? like there's so much nonsense around it. I will actually I will attack on one more thing. Uh fighting used to be much more significant than it is now. And I think a lot of the opinions on it were formed in an era where it mattered more. Um especially if you go back before the instigator rule, but it doesn't matter anymore. It's not helping and it's not a factor. This was a yeah. dumb contract.
0: Yeah, I mean the thing is teams also can just like sort of refuse to fight you.
2: Yeah. And like,
0: like yeah, you can you can jump them and you'll get the instigator and whatever. It's like not not always like a huge penalty to pay. Maybe you think, oh, you know, the There's occasional instigator bit. for like beating a guy up is is beneficial, but like, yeah, like it, the team, teams just don't have to engage in your style.
1: That reminds me. And so Reeves was playing last night because Lilia Grin got hurt when the Leafs played the Bruins on that tangle up play with Brad Marchand. And so Reeves went out, and he boarded Matthew Poitras, who is a rookie, who is not Brad Marchand. Um, Marchand is also, like, quite good at protecting himself. That's partly how he survived.
0: Right. Like, yeah. it, it's not—you're you're not the first guy who's like, man, I'd really like to hit Brad Marchand.
1: I think anyone would like to hit Brad Marchand. <laughs> right? Like, like,
0: he, He's—I mean, first off, he's very, very skilled. Yeah. So if you put Ryan Reeves on the ice with him, you are playing 5v4. Yep. Like, even more than you are doing usually. Um, but second, you what are you going to be like, just run up and hit him? Like he he's, he's an elite player. Yeah. He's, he's not just going to let you do that.
1: Yeah. His, like his mobility is sufficient to prevent that from happening. Um, and so, yeah, you know, Reeves took a boarding penalty. I get what he was trying to do. I'm not even really mad at him for that. Like he, he felt like he had to make some kind of statement, but I don't think it did anything. It put the Leafs on the penalty kill. The Bruins will continue being the Bruins as they have done for goddamn 15 years. And we all carry on. And it's like, I gotta be honest, I don't even feel any kind of satisfaction at that. Like, if he actually succeeded in punching Brad Marchand in the face, I would stand by everything that I've said in this segment. But I would be a little bit like, well... That was pretty cool. That though. was pretty good. Um, But that doesn't even happen. So, look, I don't know what to say at this point. I don't think that there's any case for it. I would rather never discuss this again, but the contract is three years long. So, anyway, that's it. Uh, Noah Gregor is sort of a happier little story. Um, obviously a quite minor signing, but he came out of nowhere to be a speedy, reasonably competent fourth liner. I don't want to get carried away. His on-ice numbers are still rough, although, like comps, they've been better lately. And he has just enough offense to keep him interesting.
0: He he seems like a guy who has enough offense that you're like, oh, maybe we should try him on like a higher line. And then you get him on a higher line, he does nothing. You're like, oh, okay, no, okay, fair enough. No. <laughs> yeah. He he he's he doesn't use his teammates well, which is fine because his teammates for the most part are, are Comp and McMahon. So he's he's like a straight line player. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin Bourne has pointed out that. You know, he he gets all these kind of odd band rushes. Then we'll take like a 1% shot from the top of the circle. And it's like, man, just take it to the net. Mm -hmm. Right? Like That can sometimes be a little bit, you know, a lot of people said that about William Nylander in his first few years. Like, oh, just take it to the net. Um, It's not easy to do that. But often when when Gregor has these chances, it's like actually a relatively clear lane. And he, he has, you know, the chance to do it. He might lose the puck. It's obviously less safe than just, Trying to score from forty feet away, and he has scored from forty feet away, right he doesn't have like a total muffin of a shot um but yeah i th- I think that's one small optimization he could he could make um so yeah I, th- I think he's been good but it's not a great sign when like the acquisition who is most <laughs> is up to their cost is a guy playing nine minutes a night, <laughs> but that's the world we live in right now for the Leafs,
1: yeah anyway yeah, so he's a nice presence, maybe a threat for ten goals a year. And if things go well, and that's fine. So now what? Um, The good news, as we mentioned, is that the Leafs' record is still pretty good, whether they deserve it or not. They can certainly aim for home ice in the playoffs. Uh, If the playoffs started today, they would have it by a fraction of a percentage point. Um, Matthews getting back to dominating play, as he did last night, would be huge. Um, I basically don't see how Brad living gets past the deadline without adding a defenseman. As mentioned, he was in on Zadorov and Tanev. Uh, last night, it sounded like the Tanev door may be closing, but until he moves, you never know. Um, with regard to Tanev, he's a very good right-handed defensive defenseman. He is also getting up there in age and has a pretty rough injury history to the point where I actually thought he was... Near the end, like, three years ago.
0: Yeah, he's kind of had a real renaissance since then.
1: Yeah, settled in really nicely in Calgary. But, uh, you know, um, ideally, True Living would also solidify the bottom six with a third-line center. He may not have the resources to do that. Yep. So it's just oh. a matter of his willingness to trade.
0: My big concern here is, after this offseason, do you want Brad Tre Living being the one to, like, <laughs> add to this team?
1: Uh, well, he is, you know, love it or hate it. I, I'll give him this. The, the Flames have had a generally good defense group. So maybe... Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. You know. He's made some good decisions in Calgary. It's just there were also some some rough decisions. And the Leafs are unfortunately in an unforgiving position. Um, also, the William Nylander extension. I don't know how far apart they are. Tre Living has been clear that he wants to re-sign Nylander. Nylander wants to resign in Toronto. However, Nylander wants to get paid a spectacular amount of money. I would do. And so it's just going to be a question of, is there a meeting there and what is that? Um, you know, I would still like just purely as a vibes guess here. I would guess it gets done for something in the 10 million range, but I don't know. Um... Okay, so yeah, that's basically the State of the leaves. This is just like a little, very brief grab bag of stuff that I noticed around the NHL, because I don't have an outlet to talk about it on the air anymore. Sean um, Couturier came back for the Flyers incredibly well after not playing for a year and a half. And the Flyers look like pretty respectable. This is
0: a kind of a standard torch team, right? Kind of under-talented, mm-hmm. but commits really well, uh, Plays plays defense, you know? Does better than you expect. Torch is like... I think you, you said this at one point. Torch is like really good at maximizing an unskilled roster, but also makes it a lot more likely that you have an unskilled roster.
2: Yeah,
1: that's how I view him. But here we are again. So um, I,
0: I think he's like a good coach for like a team in this position. But yeah, you kind of move him on once you, once you really want to contend, I think.
1: Yeah. And uh, they seem to be content to hold him to the rebuild. Um, as almost like a... A partner GM, like he seems to have more status in Philadelphia right now than your average coach. Um But yeah, you know, I don't think they're gonna make the playoffs, partly because they're not gonna strain themselves to make the playoffs. But it's certainly not out of the question. Like right now the caps, the Isles, and the Flyers are all tied with 26 points, although the Flyers have played more games. You know, anything could happen. So that's a real shock. Um When will the Bruins die? Is my question? No, nope, they are immortal. Now, I will say they are worse this year, at least in terms of skater performance. Like, a lot of this looks like goaltending. Mm-hmm. Um, not a coincidence that they always get insanely good goaltending, obviously. And their defense group is very, very good. So, yeah. Um, you know, th- there has been some decline, but unfortunately it hasn't hurt them that much. Uh, the Canucks, they wrote an insane PDO heater that will probably get them into the playoffs, even if they regress back down to average. And they may be now a somewhat better than average team. Um, happened at a great time for them because they're trying to get Elias Petterson to believe in the future and sign a big extension. So that may have, like, saved their franchise, <laughs> depending on how it works out.
0: Yeah, Pedersen's like a transformational superstar, so... It's kind of it's like similar to the Matthews deal. It almost doesn't really matter what you sign him to. Like you're not better without him. So you you, ju- you just sort of try to negotiate him down as much as you can. And like, okay, cool. We'll, we'll sign you.
1: Yeah. Now that said, he hasn't done it yet. So you wonder, is he waiting to see how they do in the playoffs? Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly making it, which they now very likely will, is a good start. Um, the Sabres went all in on Devin Levi in net. And it didn't work out. And that combined with a Tage Thompson injury has kind of put them up against it. Like they're now a pretty long shot to make the playoffs, unfortunately. Um,
0: yeah. I mean, for all the talk about the um, the shift in the Atlantic that could be happening, you know, top four in the Atlantic by points percentage, Bruins, Leafs, Red Wings, which is new, and Panthers, you know, yeah. it, you swapped the, the Red Wings for the Lightning. And I think the Lightning are kind of, we, we saw this last year, like they, they were clearly, you know, they're, they're clearly just on the natural downslope of a, of a team that has... You know, won a lot. Yeah. Um, but you know, we we thought it would be Ottawa and Buffalo jumping into that power vacuum, and they have not done so.
1: Yeah, and Ottawa just isn't playing very well.
0: Yep. I mean, (laughs) it's uh, honestly, this has brought me so much joy this year (laughs) because you get all these sense fans with like. (laughs) handles like Stutzler shots who, who will tweet insane stuff. Like the senators have five guys who would actually be on the Leafs top line. And then I'm like, motherfucker, you guys haven't made the playoffs since the fucking Obama administration.
1: Yeah. It's so funny because like how many franchises can dunk on the Leafs? Like 20 of them probably consistently. Yeah. And the Sens, Somehow never going to be- get in a position to do that, really. Like, every I mean, year they're like, they think it's going to happen. And it's, no, nope. it's, it's so sad. And it it's just like, every year you guys
0: convince yourselves that you're, this is the year you're going to, like, overtake the least. And then you guys just fall fucking flat what? on your face it's like the absolute piece of shit losers you are. I hate the sense.
1: <laughs> I don't even, like, I, maybe this is just, like, part of how I came up as a fan or something. The one true eternal enemy, for me, is the Habs. Always, like baked into my heart, I will always want the Habs to fail first. But it is funny when, when stuff happens to the Sens, and boy, does stuff happen to the Sens. Like we didn't even get into Pinto's mysterious gambling suspension, or
0: the Sens are like the wily e. coyote of NHL teams.
1: It's incredible. And I, like we thought it would stop because they have an owner that's not Julian Elnick now. Yeah. Um, and maybe it'll calm down, but gosh, they really do add something. So that's a happier note to finish on, I think.
0: Yeah, uh, they, they are no longer last in the Atlantic by points percentage. They're um they're a little bit ahead of the Sabers. I think that shifted in the last like couple of days. They, they do have a lot of games in hand to be fair mm-hmm. to them, so like they can actually improve things. Um And in like the sense that They have a lot of good players. It just doesn't really turn out that great for them.
1: I'm gonna be honest, they're terrible this year, by expected goals. And I am surprised they're this bad.
0: It does sort of feel like DJ Smith is just not really the guy. Like he seemed like a good transitional coach to like, you know, encourage the youngsters or whatever, but I don't think he's a real boy coach. And I think he's gone after this year. Or possibly during the year. Like it's especially with Dorian now gone.
1: I think the only reason they haven't fired him is because they don't have a GM right now and they want the new guy to choose the next coach. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Well, this has been fun. Uh, thank you for tuning in to our periodic and random episodes. Um, yeah. anyway, hopefully the Leafs are in a much better position by whenever the next time we do this is.
0: Yeah. So thank you everyone for, for listening. Uh, we don't have any set schedule now, so we'll just sort of do these as and when we want them, as Woman said. So uh, yeah, just keep uh, keep your eyes peeled for for the next one. Uh, thank you all for listening, and we'll see you later.